How do we love our community? How do we love those God has placed in our life? I mean, it's a great evaluation question for us personally. When you're praying in, in your morning devotions or just seeking God's wisdom for the day, perhaps you ought to ask him, God, how am I loving those you've placed in my life? Whether those are in my home or in the workplace or on Word's Road when I'm trying to navigate traffic, how am I loving those you have placed in my life? The goal for the series was to make us a compassionate church, which I believe we are in many ways. But I want us to, to be a compassionate church willing to serve our neighbors and community selflessly by showing and sharing the gospel. Let me read an account of, uh, of an email that was sent to another pastor. The pastor received this from a, a young lady who had been touched by members in her church. And she wrote these words. I found myself doing something I never thought I would do. I stood near a grocery store asking for money as I had just had a baby 16 weeks ago. And I lost my job as a waitress. I was about to leave when another young lady stepped up to me and said, There isn't much I can give you financially, but I can pray for you. As she handed me a blanket. I accepted her offer to pray. She prayed that Jesus would provide for me and my baby. I had no clue what any of her prayer meant. She then told me about her church. But I cut her off before she could finish her sentence because I am a half Latino, half black woman. I said to her, I don't go to church because churches are segregated and I don't feel welcomed. She said, well, our church is a multi-ethnic church and everyone is welcome. I stabbed back because I, she says, I'm not, I'm a mess and I don't belong in any church ever. She responded, well, it's a good thing that Jesus turns messes into masterpieces. She sat with me in the cold, sharing how Jesus had transformed her life through your church. I will never forget this woman and the hope that she gave me in having a new life. She handed me an invitation card to your church with her name and telephone number on it. I will forever treasure it. After the conversation, I went to the library and I listened to four of your sermons from the church. And I cried like a fool in the middle of the library. I received Jesus as my Savior as I listened to those messages. I'm so thankful this young woman from your church that told me about Jesus is what I need. Might I add that when she left me that day after spending an hour by my side, she went back into the grocery store and brought to me a warm, hot uh, chocolate uh, drink and a $50 gift card and some diapers for my baby. I hope this story touches you, Pastor, because I want you to know that your people really are on some type of mission. I am coming to your church this Sunday for my very first time. What you're doing matters. And my life has been changed forever. That kind of letter, that kind of email is the kind of emails we ought to be receiving. Because people from this church are in the community touching real lives. 
Not just passing by, but getting involved, taking time, sharing some, some, uh, some of your treasures, your talents. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at one primary verse today to conclude this series. If you don't have a Bible with you or you can't find it on your, on your phone, just pick up the black Bible right in front of you. And you can turn to page 762. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 as our, as our concluding verse. This is a pretty significant verse. Perhaps you've heard of this verse uh, known as the golden rule. In the English Standard Version, which I'm reading from, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. For us to be able to apply this verse here, and to have the type of testimony from those in the community like we've just read, we've got to live this out. We've got to really embrace what does it mean to do to others like we would want them to do to us. Sacrificial, surrendering whatever it takes in order that people's needs would be met and that the gospel would be clearly communicated. That there is a, 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 an eternal life found in Jesus Christ and a God who enters our life now and takes care of us. There are three uh, observations from this text I want to bring out today. The first is this. As we look at this ver uh, verse, verse 12, it starts with the word so, or, or perhaps therefore. You've got to always stop when you see this so and say, what is it referring to? So if we're to live this verse out, we need to look at what's just prior. Now perhaps when it says so, it may just be relating to the entirety of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All the way from uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 all the way to now. Certainly it could include all of that. But I find it very fascinating that it follows just the, the words just before it, starting in verse 7, when he's talking about your needs being met. Where do you go? Who do you speak to? Where do you find your strength and encouragement? I find that if we're going to be a church that can live out verse 12, it really begins learning to seek God as verse 7 has indicated. Look at these words. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Verse 11. If you then, who are evil, in comparison to God, we are certainly unholy, separated. Then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The reason that we could sit down with somebody on the side of a road or outside of a grocery store and love them is because we have sought God first and our needs are filled. That we know where to go for the source of life. And the person we communicate with, the person we touch, the person we spend time with may have no understanding of a God of creation that brought this in, them into this world. 
that as a believer in Christ, we really can't serve others until we've sought the face of God and made sure that our soul is satisfied in him. Too often, churches have a reputation in a community that we want something from them. You come knock on the door, and it's as if you're going to receive some money for something or waste their time. A church in any community ought to be known for what they're giving, not what they're taking. Our giving is out of the resources God has given us. And you notice here that we are all in need. All of us ought to be asking. All of us ought to be seeking. All of us ought to be knocking because all of us stand in a great need, both spiritually and physically. We need God's wisdom. We need God's strength. We need God's direction. We need God's resources. But even if all of our externals were taken care of, ultimately we need his forgiveness and salvation in his Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. We all need God. We ought to all be in a position humbling ourselves, seeking the face of God. And let me remind you, we ought to seek his face way before we seek his hand. Many people will cry out to God for provision before they're willing to even praise his holy name. Even at the beginning of, of the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about how, how do you pray? Hallowed be your name comes way before asking for your daily bread. Because when you know who you're talking to, everything else comes into perspective. What seems like a big canyon or a, a huge rock that stands in front of you that's immovable. And you say, I don't know what I'm going to do about this situation. My health issue, my financial issue, these broken relationships, these are so big. When you see the greatness of God, all of those became small and manageable under his providence. God does not expect us to be completely self-sufficient. God does not expect us to serve others out of our own strength. God does, though, expect us to come to him for wisdom, provision, direction, even for our comfort. And God does expect us to serve others, to love others from his strength and point others to him. If we're the ones who, in verse 7, can go and ask and seek and knock, and then we see someone who's not able to do that or not even aware that you can, how can we keep it to ourselves? We learn to seek God so we can serve others best by showing them the one we're dependent upon. So if we understand that we learn to seek God, then we have verse 12 that indicates we need to learn to serve others. Every one of us have desires for our own life. Every one of us want to, to be healthy and wealthy and, 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 and comfortable at least, that we, we have the relationships and everything going well. We want that. Do we desire that for other people? Do you find yourself in competition with other people versus being just a teammate to help other people along? All of us are dependent upon God. And in that, we learn to serve others. And it says, whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them. You notice it does not say wait for the others to do it to you first so that you can return the favor. Too often we can, we can get upset when people don't treat us the way we desire to be treated. 
How can my boss speak to that, me that way? How, how can my spouse dismiss my thoughts? How can, how can my children not just think I'm the greatest person on the planet? How come not everybody just revolves around me? When you were an infant, Oliver came in today, he's an infant. And the whole world does revolve around Oliver. <laughs> Why? Because he is in complete need and can do nothing for himself. But as you grow older and mature, you realize the world's not all about you. You think that the, the world is a movie and you're the, co uh, the, 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 the main star and everybody else is supporting actors. It's not true. Here's the reality. The older we grow, we begin to realize that uh, God is the main character. And we are all around needing him. So therefore, we are brothers and sisters in Christ when we know Jesus. But we are certainly fellow human beings with everyone on the planet. Every one of us without the grace of Christ are fallen and separated from him. We all need Jesus. And we all need one another. That's why separating ourselves from the humanity that uh, God has given us is such a fallacy. Uh, Jennifer and I watched a movie last night. I wouldn't necessarily commend it, but it certainly was, was telling. It was called Land. I'd never heard of it, but... I said, hey, let's watch this movie. So it was about land. This, this, this lady had lost her husband and son through a tragic accident. And she uh, went to a counselor for a session because her sister wanted her to do so. But then she left saying, I, I, the counselor said, why don't you share this with other people? Why don't you talk about it? And she says, why would I want to share this with anybody? Her solution was to just run away to the middle of Wyoming where she had never lived up in a mountain, away from people. I just don't want to talk to anybody ever again. After a year of living up there and not being used to that because she was a city girl, she nearly died in the winter for lack of food and lack of warmth. It was another human being that came along, found her there, and helped her come back to, to life. And not just physical life. She began to realize, I need human connection. People have been put in my life, even though it may be painful at times because of disappointments or, or tragedies, we are made for relationship. Even in the book of Genesis, Adam was there in the perfect garden, but God said it is not good for man to be alone, so he made him a helpmeet. Listen to me, when we learn to seek God, God fills us, and then we learn to serve others because in humanity, we all need the common grace of God working through his spirit in his church. This is known as the golden rule. There are various versions of the golden rule uh, that have been existed even before Jesus said these words. They, you can find them in rabbinic writings. You can find them in Hinduism and Buddhism. But in the way they always used it was in a negative way, not a positive way. Even Confucius in his writings said this. He said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. You notice it was negative. Jesus was the first one to speak it in a positive way. What you would want people to do to you, you should do for others. There's an action here. The reality is the other way as being seen is, is if what you don't want to happen, don't do what do others. What does it take for you not to do something to someone? Nothing. Certainly, you could get angry and you want to act out and say, well, I'm going to withhold today. But what kind of good comes out of not doing something? Did you say, I could do something good, but I'm not going to? Jesus calls us to a higher position. The motivation here is not selfish. 
If we desire to be treated rightly, we should treat others rightly. But the motivation is connected to our prayers. As we seek, ask, and knock, God does something in us so that he might do something through us. Even the Greek scholar William Mounts said, In its negative form, the golden rule would be satisfied by doing nothing. But the positive form that Jesus brings moves us to action on behalf of others for God's glory. You seek God, he meets your needs. You serve others, and you treat them like God treats you. As we've done for the last couple of weeks, and I know this has been a different type of message series, we're going to watch just a short clip and finalize this video series, and I'll come back and I'll finalize this passage for us. Yes, it is, Ray. Where do these go, Dad? Over there by the gazebo. Frank. Hey, Eddie. Victoria's called a meeting with a bunch of the neighbors. I don't know what she thinks she's trying to do, but I thought you should know. All right, thanks. Anything I can do to help set up? Oh, you can ask your own patent right there. You got it. Good Lord. Everything okay? Everything's fine. Need help with that? Uh, no, I'm good. Okay, let us know. Can't wait. Thanks. They're really going to call the police. Is there something we should do? I'm open to suggestions. What's wrong? It's just... Mark and Marianne, of all people, yeah. Don't you look pretty? Thanks. Hey, I just talked to Allison. She said her parents won't let her come. Some people just really don't want us to have the wedding here. Yeah, she asked if we were having cake or doing a soup line. <laughs> Frank. What? It's funny. That's. I don't think that's funny at all. I'm sorry, sweetie. Whatever. If they don't get it, that's their problem. Where is everybody, anyway? But, surely, you're not really gonna call the cops. I mean, do they even handle this sort of thing? We're going through a refinance. What happens when the appraiser shows up and sees the United Nations down the street? They're the ones forcing the issue, not me. I gave them fair warning. Eddie, I'm glad to see that you... Everyone, this is Thomas Murphy and his bride-to-be, Julia. They have something they'd like to say. We never set out to cause anyone any trouble. And we certainly never expected our wedding to be a cause of conflict. In fact, we've generally gotten pretty used to not expecting anything from anyone. But Frank and Cassie have shown us that it is possible to receive totally unexpected and undeserved love from the most unexpected people. 
maybe you all have relationships like that already, and I hope you do, but please don't punish the Donovans for showing generosity to us. We'd be honored if you'd join us this evening at our wedding. Frank and Cassie have invited us into their lives, and we'd like to invite you into ours. Cassie? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, don't be. We're just praying for you guys. Should you be getting ready? Well, since you all are basically our wedding party, um, we wanted to give you a gift. One to another. It's perfect. Thank you. Oh, and Cassie, if you don't mind, I do have one request for Frank. Hey. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Good. Good to see you, Good sir. to see you, Cassie. David. Good to see you. You want to get inside? Hey. Uh, Alan. Hello. Wonderful. Hey. Pleasure. Hey. Good to see you. Yeah. Thanks, kiddo. Oh. <laughs> All right, then. Hi, Victoria. Last chance, Frank. Do I need to call the police? Do what you have to do. Frank. Room for seven or eight more? Always. I guess you guys are it. Come with me. Last chance, Victoria. We're gathered here today to inaugurate and celebrate Julia and Thomas, your new life together. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Many of us, myself included, stand here today because our burdens, which were too heavy to bear, were borne by others. The phrase one to another appears more than 90 times in the New Testament. Love one to another. Be kind one to another. Submit one to another. Jesus summed up all of these one to another's in a single sentence. Whatever you wish others would do for you, do also for them. 
This golden rule sums up the whole law, he says. Let us pray. Gracious God, may you bless the union of Thomas and Julia. Give them the power and strength by your Holy Spirit to love each other well. Amen. Now, if I were Thomas, I'd want this old preacher to hurry things up. <laughs> so, in the spirit of the golden rule, let us be generous to this suffering young man. <laughs> Thomas, do you have a symbol of your love and commitment to Julia? Now, Thomas, repeat after me. I, Thomas. I, Thomas. Take you, Julia. Take you, Julia. To be my lawfully wedded wife. To be my lawfully wedded wife. saw this couple who provided for this couple who could do nothing for themselves coming out of a, a difficult background and all and, and they just sacrificed it all even if uh, friends were to walk away from them or the cops were going to be called how do you love generously and as we see in verse 12 it, it's very clear so whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them the last phrase here says this is the law and the prophets I find that as we, we learn to seek God and we learn to serve others, we ought to learn to search the scriptures on how we can love others even better. As the preacher in the, in the story here says, over 90 times in the New Testament, it tells us how we are to love one another, one to another. We forgive one another. We encourage one another. Uh, we, we, we challenge one another. We pray for one another. So many times in scripture, it tells us how we can love one another which sums up what Jesus said when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How would you want to be loved? That's how you ought to love other people. I find in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You want to know how to love others more? Search the scriptures and find how God loves you and then how he's going to love through you to everyone around you. It was Jai Packer who talked about, uh, about giving and he said in four different things, he said, giving is an expression of our gratitude to God. He also said giving is a way to be generous with your neighbor. He said giving is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. If we say we're following Jesus, we become generous givers. And then he says giving is a means to glorify God. We all say we want to glorify God. Well, one of those ways is how we love other people and we love generously. There was a young girl in fourth grade and she was uh, of uh, some mental challenge, but certainly knew some awareness. And, and she had been mainstreamed in her classroom uh, in this fourth grade elementary school. 
So as Valentine's Day was approaching, uh, all the kids in the class were to bring a, a Valentine's Day box to receive Valentine's. And, and at home, this little girl's uh, mother and her were, were making Valentine's cards for all of her, her uh, uh, classmates. I wouldn't say all of her friends because she was different and not everybody embraced her. Some of them thought she was odd. Some of them thought she was scary. Most of them just avoided her completely. Perhaps a few made fun of her uh, in front of her. But they were making these Valentine's cards, and, and this little girl said, Mama, let's put John 3.16 on there to let them know that Jesus loves them. So they made all of these cards, and on the day of Valentine's Day at the classroom, uh, the teacher instructed, okay, now go up, pick yourself up and walk around and put your Valentine's Day cards in everyone's box. Well, they all did that, and this little girl went around and put them in all the boxes and sat down. It was the end of the day, so then they were to take their box and go home, you know, and many of the kids, just like this girl, opened their box before they left school that day. All the kids picked up their cards and looked in at how exciting she opened her box, and it was completely empty. Not one child in that class gave her a Valentine's. She went home. The mother was so excited. Hey, how did it go? Show me your box. Show me all of your cards. And the little girl said, Mama, I didn't get any cards. My box was empty. But she was not sad. Now, the mother was furious. Boy, I'm going to have a talk with that teacher. I don't think that's very nice. They, they should have done some things. And, and the little girl, even with her mental challenges, was wise enough to say, Mom, my box may be empty, but my heart's full of Jesus. And their box may be full, but they may be empty when it comes to Jesus. Let's pray that my card to them will show them the love of Jesus. Listen to me, there are all kinds of kids and people all around our community that have an empty box. And they may not ever fill our box, and you know what? That's okay. We're here to fill their heart, their box, with the message and love of Jesus. To love generously. We're here to be Jesus with flesh on it, if you will. The love of Jesus right here.